You can tell a lot about a person or a community of people by the stories that they tell. There have been many stories that have been told about this church for more than a century. Stories about places like India and Africa. Stories from the 1800s and the early 1900s. Stories about people by the name of Esther Baird, Delia Fister, Everett Cattell. Stories about this church's work in hospitals and children's homes. Stories about Jesus Christ and His good news being spread, not just here, but to the othermost parts of the earth. Those are stories that we tell and continue to tell. But those stories are long gone. Those people have long since left us. And we have no new stories to replace them with. And so for the last year, we as a church have been praying, Lord, please send us. Lord, please send us. May our greatest days for you not have been days of the past, but may they be the future, and Lord, may they be the present. And so we as church leaders began praying over a year ago as to where God would have us go. And first we began praying about India, a work which we began over a hundred years ago and which still remains to this day. In fact, four ladies from our church in January visited India to check in on several of those ministries and opportunities and came back and told us the stories of the temple prostitutes, the children's home, and the hospital there. India certainly is an increasingly difficult nation for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. There's a great need of few workers in India today. And we considered praying as well through Jamaica, what God might have us do there. There are many French churches in Jamaica which have been there for decades. It's close to the United States. It's still a developing country. It's perhaps more open to the gospel than even the United States is today. A beautiful country with beautiful people, but still who have a great need for transformation. We thought about Brazil. Another developing work begun by World Renewal International. You may remember about a month ago when Pastor Tele and Pastor Flavio were here with us telling their own stories of how the gospel is spreading across Brazil. There's a great foundation already in place there in Brazil, but there's still a great need. The gospel spreading like wildfire throughout that area. There are lots of partnerships there, but there are still so many needs in Brazil. And it seemed as though we would never be able to decide exactly where God wanted us to go. There were so many great needs in, in these places and so many others, but yet we continued to pray. We continued to talk. We continued to search for where the greatest need was and where God might have us to go next. And a few weeks ago, we began to feel as leaders God calling us towards Jamaica. Jamaica is perhaps the most difficult of these nations, not because the gospel isn't allowed to be preached there, but perhaps, in fact, despite the fact that the gospel is able to be preached there, it's so open. And there are so many people already there, but yet there are still so many great needs. This morning in Jamaica, 14 churches 
friends, churches will meet this morning. But it's a make or break moment for those Jamaican friends churches. They are on a precipice of thriving or perhaps even dying. And so it's a turning point. And perhaps more so than India, perhaps more so than Brazil, Jamaica is a bit of a risk. And yet this church has always been a church that is willing, if not seeking, to take risks on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've always been a pioneering church, and we are not going to let that die. And so this morning, I'm thankful to continue saying what we've been saying this entire year, that when Jesus is present, everything changes. And so we as a church are going to Jamaica knowing that when Jesus is present there and with us, that things will change. And so this morning, I want to invite Pastor Frank Carter up here. Pastor Frank, as he's known in Jamaica, has been working there for 39 years on behalf of friends in Jamaica. And so this morning, I've invited Pastor Frank to come and tell us about the work in Jamaica and anything else that may be on his part as we, this morning, commit ourselves to a new nation of impact in 2015. I want to give you two greetings this morning. First of all, I would like to greet you as a typical Jamaican pastor on a Sunday morning greeting his congregation by simply saying, pleasant good morning. That is a very typical greeting there. And then I'd like to greet you according to the place on planet Earth where God has planted me as a young person in the state of Virginia and give you a good southern greeting. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Will you say that with me this morning? God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Thank you this morning, Willoughby Hills, for listening to God's voice, for heeding what God is saying to you. I want to thank you for your past involvement in Jamaica because this church was in on some of the early days of our pioneer work in uh, Jamaica. Yes, there have been friends' churches in Jamaica since the British went there centuries ago and started colonizing the island. There were a lot of Quakers that made their way from England to Jamaica, and there were problems developed that had developed along the way, namely the Slave Act. And the Quaker movement was very much opposed to slavery. They saw it as an evil institution and therefore stood boldly in opposition to what their fellow Englishmen were doing. But there was an insatiable growth of sugarcane plantations across the island after the Spanish were driven off. And this sugar production demanded hard labor. So that's when slavery began. The European slave traders bought the slaves in. They were purchased and sold 
like cattle. Because of opposition from the Friends Church, there broke out persecution. And a lot of the Friends immigrated from the island, leaving only a handful of Friends meetings to carry forth the message that George Fox had started. One day I was with a group in Ocherias. They were having their free day. And I was sitting in the van, the church van. It said Daystar Evangelical Friends Church on it. And I kept feeling someone was staring at me. And I looked up and <laughs> there was this Rasta guy. I don't need to tell you about Rastafari. You know much, a lot about it, much maybe as much as I do. But normally they don't aren't friendly with uh, foreigners. This guy kept looking, and he was looking intently at the name on the van, and then at me. He got up, started toward me, and I thought, "Oh, brother, I am going to get an earful today. I'm going to get a lecture." I'm going to have some problem. He came over to the van, and I had the window rolled down, and they do this bump fist kind of thing, is an attitude of respect, and I like to feign it. And he said, I respect you. And I said, oh, how is that so? He said, I know who you are. I recognize that name from history. You are welcome in this country. You see, our ancestors that had planted seed there centuries before was now opening doors to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't go to the Caribbean or to Jamaica with a smile. My wife can tell you a little bit about that. I had gone... To on my first trip to the Caribbean, thinking it was paradise, coconut trees, beautiful beaches, and lots of beautiful mountain scenery and palm trees and etc., pineapples. I went to Haiti. We were there two weeks. Over to the western part of the island in a place called Jeremy, where we had to fly in on a little Piper Cub, let us out, go back and get the rest of the group in Port-au-Prince, and it was a long flight over. We stayed in a very humble, a humble abode, and a tropical front moved in just about the day we were ready to leave that part of the, that part of the island. We were running out of food that we had bought, so we had to start eating local fare. I don't mind cassava pancakes if they are prepared properly. and But anyway, most of our group started coming down with dysentery. And I mean with a vengeance. When we got back to Port-au-Prince, they helped us all to this motel where we were staying. They had to carry us, literally carry us almost bodily into the, the bedrooms. In two days, we were to leave the island. When I got to Atlanta, Georgia, I had to be put in a wheelchair because I couldn't even stand up on my own. I came home, back to our home. My wife 
took one look at me and she said, step inside of this foyer, take off every stitch of your clothes, put everything on the porch. We're going to scrub you down. For two weeks, I wasn't a happy camper. And I had an attitude that I never wanted to go back that part of the world again. Went to Asbury Seminary to a pastor's conference that next February. And a missionary there that does group tours and mission tours said to me, I think the Lord would like for you to go with me to the Caribbean, to Jamaica, in August of this year on a music evangelism tour. And I must admit, I looked at him like, buddy, I'm going to give you two minutes to get out of my face because I'm not interested. All the way back home to North Carolina where we lived then, the Lord kept saying to me, you know, you didn't ask me. You didn't pray about that, did you? Did you seek my will? When I got home, I pulled up in the driveway, put my hands down over the steering wheel. I said, all right. I went in, picked up the phone, called the man and said, when do you need the money? He said, I've been expecting you. August, the three A's, Asbury, the second A is August, a time you typically do not want to go to Jamaica because it is when the Caribbean basin is heating up with hurricanes galore, bouncing on both sides of the island, and it's not a pleasant place to be in a storm. They don't have the adequate shelters that we have here. They're very meager. Stayed in Jamaican homes, oftentimes without running water, without the amenities of home, and eating whatever was set before me. By the end of that trip, when I went to the airport, I was reduced to tears. These people had won my heart with their gentleness, with their love, with their gratitude, but most of all, as your pastor today has said, with their openness to receive the gospel. I started going. I couldn't wait to get back down in February. And at that February meeting, when I went back, one of the local pastors of the traditional friends that had been there said to me, why don't you start helping us through evangelical friends? We feel you have something to offer our people. Won't you pray about it? And pray I did. That was 30, almost 39 years ago. Fifteen years ago, We've been pestering and pestering the missionary board to please send people to Jamaica. Send people over there. Help them to come and to learn from evangelical perspective. 
Because we would go back and there would not be a lot of outreach following some of the teams that went down. John Williams and John Grafton finally agreed to go with me down. We went down, stayed in a place in Ocherias, making that our central place to stay. And the first morning we got up, we were in there having our devotions. And the housekeeper, I noticed she kept dusting and dusting the same table over and over again, but her ears were inclined to listen to us. We were sharing what God was doing and what we were anticipating from this mission trip. And she kept getting closer, but yet dusting that same table. Finally, we said, it's time for prayer. We got to go. She said, excuse me, gentlemen. I couldn't help but listen. (laughs) I bet she couldn't. To listen to what you were saying. You're talking about Jesus Christ. And I would love to know Him as my Savior. Will you pray for me? What a way to introduce Jamaica to our general superintendent. We prayed for her. And the joy of the Lord came in that room. We got in a taxi with Big John. He's bigger than me. And he was going to take us out for breakfast. And we were just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling with the joy of salvation of this lady who just got saved. We were just, I sat in the front and talking to them in the back. We were just sharing the joy of the Lord. He pulled that taxi cab over to the curb and he said, I want some of that. That whole trip was marked with thirst. And hunger. And when we got back, the mission board, yes, we're on board. We will go. And Frank Carter, you're it. I was a pastor. What do I know about missions? Except what we read in our bulletins. No experience. And if I were to ask you today, what is a missionary's job description? Some of you might say, oh, that's easy. You are to go and plant churches. Or you are to go and help the poor. Or you are to go and convert people to the gospel of Christ. I'm not so sure that I would agree with that, even though all of those things may encompass what I do. My job description is simple. To do God's will. One day at the time. That's what I'm doing here this morning. One day at the time. Even though... God will bless, God will provide the increase, and God will perform it. He is not looking so much for ability as He is availability. In John chapter 12, there are are 
there's some formula there that we have used in the field in Jamaica to help plant churches, to help produce vibrant, growing, thriving, alive churches. And I want to briefly share with you this morning some of those thoughts. I know my time is fleeting. And in Jamaica, don't worry, we preach three hours down there, but I realize I'm in Cleveland, Ohio this morning. One, how in the world do you get people's attention? What do you do to get people's attention that they need the Lord? That's the first step here, India, Brazil, Jamaica, anywhere in the world. You have got to reach people with the gospel, but first of all, they've got to listen. They've got to be drawn. There's got to be something there that gets their attention. If you haven't noticed lately, people don't pass by the church anymore with warm, fuzzy feelings and saying, oh, I'm just dying to get in there. In John 12, we find a man by the name of Lazarus who had just been raised from the dead. He was a yardie, and that in Jamaican terms means he's a homeboy. He was right from this area. He lived in the suburbs of Jerusalem over the hill in Bethany. Everybody in that town and in that area knew Lazarus had been dead as a doornail. Maybe some of them, many of them, had attended his funeral. Everybody knew it. And then along comes this prophet from Nazareth named Jesus, who stands at his tomb one day and cries, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> you know the story. This guy comes up out of the grave with the clo grave clothes on, and he said, Loose him, let him go, and the grave clothes dropped. Folk, it says in John 12 that many believed on Jesus not because of his words, but because of Lazarus. There was something there that spoke to their needs. If that prophet can do something for Lazarus, whom we know, surely... He can certainly speak to my condition. There's hope. There's a light. There's something there that can help me personally. And I believe many of them flock that day. That's a good term for church growth. Flock to see and hear Jesus because of Lazarus. We have had a number of Lazaruses in Jamaica. God has given us some very significant moments there that has aroused the hearts and minds and attention of people in the area. Some of you met this lady by the name of Yvonne, if you were there this summer. Yvonne lived in a 
shack. I don't know how else to say it, and that doesn't the sights and smells and sounds of that maybe not intrigue, doesn't intrigue you. But in this little village where some of you were this summer in Zion, it was a little hole. It was in an area of swamp lands, right near the ocean. So what the government would do, they would let the people go down into this capture land area. They call it capture land. Actually, the legal term would be crown land that nobody owned. These were displaced people. They, did, they could not afford to buy property up on the road or the, or the strong land or the highlands. So they would go down into the swamp, take buckets of marl, which is like limestone, throw it in the swamp, pat it down, go get some more till they fill it up and then stomp it and let it settle. And then they bring some more and put it down. This is how they make roads there. You can fill a, a swamp bed in with this stuff and drive a semi-tractor trailer across it. it. It makes very good building foundation. We went in there to this area when my first experience in Zion was on a Sunday morning, something like this, sitting there on a log with a tarp that had been shredded by the winds up, up above me, and it swooped in like this, when there came a tropical shower, and it was a hard rain. Guess who was sitting right in the middle of the whole affair? And that water, when it filled up, rushed toward that tarp, come, I was soaked to the bone, wet. But what a place to be for the joy of the Lord was all around. Youth groups just like yours, and I think some of you guys might have been there then, took marl from way up the highway, bought it down one bucket at a time, threw it in the swamp, stomped it down, went back and got some more. These teenagers in eastern region, by the sweat of their brow, built the foundation for that church. Then you start in with your foundation 18 inches deep with rebarbs for earthquakes and so forth. And today, if you went there, there is a beautiful friend's church on that site. Hastening on, Yvonne lived next door in a pitiful environment. When we got there, her husband had just died a couple of months before with HIV. In Jamaica, they don't talk about these things publicly too much. And, of course, he hid it from her, and she didn't know it until he died. And then she was diagnosed with the virus. She had three children. She was bitter. Angry would be more appropriately said. She was angry with God. She was angry with people. She was angry with herself. And when we would try to approach her about inviting her to church, she'd spit on the ground and close her door. 
We started trying to help. We tried to sponsor the children to go to school. We gave money to the clerk at Zion Church so that the children could come and get the money each day and take it to school, buy their lunch, and so forth. She was so bitter and angry, she went over and demanded all the money for herself. So we had a hard time trying to help her. Eventually, we had to go to school and give them the money. But George Gibden from Mount Gilead Friends Church, he's an elderly man. Right now, he's in a wheelchair. But he was getting on up in age even then. Went down and took one look at her, and she looked at him and slammed the door. And it, oh, it lit a fire under George. He started praying for her. I mean, he started praying up a storm out loud for her. That same year, our, one of our churches in Pelham, Canada, on, um, up at Font Hill, came up with a gentleman by the name of Alex Hamilton. And my prayer had been, God, show us some way, somehow, some way to reach a hardened people that are desperately poor and need a way to help themselves. You just don't go down and throw things at them, give them handouts. It should be a hand up, not a hand out. We came up with this formula. For $240, we could buy 100 baby chicks, day-old chicks, plus 20 bags of feed, 10 mesh and 10 cracked corn, and a little medicine to put in the water. They would build their own chicken coop. Now, the plan was like this. We would provide these chickens and food through the pastor of the church, the family would raise those chickens for six and a half weeks, then butcher them, and all the money would come back to the church, which the pastor would take out a tithe. Then they would give a second family enough to start a, a second batch of chickens and give the rest back to the first individual. Yvonne was given 50 chickens. And ten bags of feed. And in my heart, I guess I didn't have a lot of faith. Because I knew when I came back in a few months, those chickens were going to be gone. Boy, did I get fooled. She took those 50 chickens. We prayed over them. She didn't lose but maybe one or two. When we went back later, a few months later, she had over 200 chickens, built herself some new coops for more, and had started herself a little business and had, was putting her kids through school and tithing all at the same time. Now, my wife told me the other day, she's bought herself a washing machine with all of this. And coming to the church. Alex went back, I mean, excuse me, George Gibden went back down there, went over to her house, knocked on her door, hugged her, sat down on the porch, 
and prayed the sinner's prayer with her. Folk, I wish I could... This is just one of a small number of Lazaruses that God has put in the friend's church path. That church is the bright spot of that village. Amidst all of the other huts and hovels and shacks up and down that road and lane all through that village, that beautiful Ortonique Orange Church stands out like a jewel. And the people are so attracted to this beautiful place that they will bring their chairs and literally just come and sit on the porch of the church. And the pastor, all he has to do is go out and share Jesus with them. Well, my time is gone this morning. I'm not going to backtrack in the second service, but... uh, Stay tuned. Uh, I, I hope that if this church goes forward with its plans, that you will see me this morning as a Macedonian man. Come over and help us. You say, well, there's not a lot I can do. <laughs> Don't be too sure. Last year, an 80-year-old lady from over at Bethany Friends came down with her church And the first night she looked at me and she said, I don't know what on earth I'm doing here in this place. I can't sing. I can't preach. I can't testify. I can't do anything. I said, hold on. Hold on. God will show you. The next day, the group went down to a church and they were having a women's day celebration. And in the afternoon session, the group leader said, we're going to have a breakout session and there's going to be four corners designated. If you want your blood pressure taken or your sugar taken over here, some we got some nurses, some ladies that can do that. You go over here and do that. If you want to learn uh, how to make uh, pot holders or, or crafts over here in this corner, so on and so forth. And she said, back yonder in that corner is Grandma Jehalia. And you go back there in that corner and she will pray for you if you have a need. Well, when they broke and said, all right, you may go to your groups. Guess what? Zoom. Everybody headed for this lady. And the first one to reach her was a little five-year-old boy. She said, what can I pray with you about? He said, ma'am, auntie, that's what they call older people, auntie. I would like for you to tell me how to know Jesus as my Savior. At supper that night, I don't think Jehelia was sitting in the chair. I think she was standing about two foot off the ground. She said, now I know why I'm here. And if I can do that here, I can do it at home. Sometimes God has to take us to these kind of places and stretch us this way and that way. 
Because going to a different culture is, it takes supernatural grace. But he will provide it. He will provide it. Let us pray. Father, breathe upon us today, Holy Spirit. Let our minds and hearts catch fire with a brand new vision today of lost and dying people, people that are hurting, not only here in Cuyahoga County, but all over the world. Lord, we hear you say so often, what is in your hand? Use it for my glory. And Lord, I pray today for this congregation that we will examine our hearts, minds, and souls today that we might hear that response, who will go for us and whom shall I send? May our heart respond gladly to you. Here am I. Send me, O Lord. Hear our prayer today, for we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This coming January the 10th through the 17th, the Evangelical Friends Church has targeted a people in Jamaica. It is the women who have a hard time. Believe me, there's a song said, Woman, I'm a heavy load. And that's Patois. But women do have a very hard struggle. Many of them without the benefit of a husband to raise children. There's so many people that don't bother to have traditional marriage there. And so there's a lot of single, they call them baby mothers. And the church tries to help them. Other groups try to help them. But the best thing we have found is being a sister to these women. The women from Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region will be going down the 10th through the 17th to target these hurting women. And they're going to take things down to share with them, lotions and things like that. And they're going to sit down one-to-one with them in several of our churches. If God says to you, go, my child, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He who calls you is faithful and will perform it. I'm sure the pastor has more information about this group that's going. One of the great things, one of the greatest assets that I have on my team is pastors like this one who are willing to go and sit down with our pastors there, open the Bible, and do some training, question and answers. Our pastors have not had the benefit of seminary, many of them. We have one or two with master's degrees, but some of them are almost illiterate. But to go and to share what God has given you, and spread Willoughby Hills ministry all across the face of the earth. Thank you. God bless you.
Thank you, Frank. We do have more information on that trip in January that Frank was talking about. You can get it at guest services. There's a pamphlet or on our website at whfriends.org. In your program this morning, there's a card that says, this is how we change the world. And last week, we committed to next year striving towards 10% of all of our offerings going back out the door for outreach both locally and, yes, internationally, specifically for Jamaica as well. We have a lot of dreams for Jamaica, but those are still being formed. In addition to this trip in January that Pastor Frank talked about, we're also hoping to do a family mission trip to Jamaica to work in VBSs where parents and children could go and be involved in ministering down there. We're also looking forward to doing a men's conference down there. As Pastor Frank mentioned, there is some difficulty with the male presence in families and in churches and in communities there. And so we want to take a group of men down there to help teach men how to be men and how to be men of God in their communities. We also, as we said, we have 14 churches down there, but we have other churches that want to be a part of the Friends Ministry, but we can't support them right now because there isn't an infrastructure there to support it. And so our dream is that we will be able to fully support a missionary in country in Jamaica starting next year, and then eventually in a few years fully support a second missionary in the Caribbean Basin for not just Jamaica, but Panama and Haiti and the Dominican Republic. We have churches down there that are meeting but don't have buildings. We want to partner with them in helping build buildings. There are also, as Pastor Frank said, a lot of needs in the communities. Uh, And so we want to be a part of opening up some food clinics down there to help people distribute food to churches. And so we have big dreams, but we know that it isn't our dreams, but it's partnering with the churches in Jamaica and it's following what God has. But ultimately, the greatest dream that we have there is that hearts and lives would be one, for the good news of Jesus Christ, one by one. And so thank you for partnering with us next year. How we change the world is to become a history maker alongside the Jamaican church. So the stories that we tell about what God is doing aren't stories that we tell about our parents and our grandparents, but that there are stories and that eventually they become our children's stories. Thanks for coming this weekend. If you'd like to speak to Pastor Frank about Jamaica, or about Jesus Christ, I encourage you to meet him right down here, down front after the service in the activity center. If you're in the worship center, feel free to come down here to the other end of the building to meet Pastor Frank this morning. God bless. You're dismissed.